Hello and welcome to another episode of Batman Nightcast, a proud part of the Fire and Water podcast network that chronicles our favorite comic book adventures of the Dark Knight Detective. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Chris Franklin. And this time we are going to wrap up the two trilogies that we have been covering for the last couple of months. First, Detective Comics 407 will finish off the original Man-Bat story. And then, Batman 454 is the concluding chapter in Dark Knight Dark City. Uh, this is where we usually banter about something topical, but I don't know. Is there anything going on with Batman lately since the last time we recorded? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there is, but I, you know, at this point, I just, I just can't keep up with all the different, I mean, I guess they, they cast, uh, Supergirl for the Flash movie. And, uh, I can't think of the young actress's name, but it was really touching the, the, they shared the Zoom meeting with her and the director where um, he told her she w- had been cast as Supergirl and it was really cute and and, and very touching and and uh, so I guess I sure hope that movie gets made just for that that young actress's sake uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know who she is but I instantly liked her so good for her, good for her and I really apologize but this is off the cuff and it's early in the morning guys I didn't look it up so I no, my apologies to the actress and to her fans but. Uh, so, you know, I hope that actually gets made at one point. I'm like, yeah, that thing's never getting made. Um, but you know, uh, they're still, they're still casting people beyond Michael Keaton and, and Ben Affleck. They're, they're casting people who haven't played a character before. So it seems a little more legitimate now, you know? <laughs> and it seems like they're casting more characters who aren't the Flash or the characters from Flash's comic books. Right. I mean, they should just call it, maybe if they hadn't uh, already done a crisis event on TV, they would have just called it crisis or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who, knows? Who knows? But yeah, so that, I think that's the only thing I remember, um, but uh, coming up since the last time we did Nightcast, but yeah. And as far as comics, oh yeah, duh, comics. We covered this on the network, but uh, Batman 89. That's right. It's, it's coming. It's coming um, right. this summer digitally first. Written by Sam Hamm, uh, who wrote the screenplay uh, for uh, the first two movies. Although I think you know somebody rewrote Batman Returns, but I was involved in the first two Batman movies. It's set after Batman Returns. I mean, it's, did Sam Hamm write Blind Justice too? He wrote Blind Justice, okay. the uh, number five ninety eight to six hundred fiftieth anniversary series in Detective Comics. Yep, yep. Dennis Cowan. Yeah. Uh, it's, and then Joe um, Quinones as the artist on that one. Yes, that That's artwork cool. is just stunning. And uh, we, we, uh, Rob and I did a, a episode of FW Presents where we talked to Dan Greenfield of Thirteenth Dimension because Dan was one of the guys that got to break the news. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, my favorite thing that Quinones has put out is uh, the the design for what Bruce Wayne wears under his yep. <laughs> bad I, I recognized it instantly. His Bruce Wayne shirt is the, I recognize that. I was like, that's the tactical turtleneck from the old, te- from the old action figure the, the Bruce yep. Wayne quick change Batman costume. That from was the great. dark Knight collection. Kenner. Yes. Which, which still has like the best Michael Keaton head sculpt ever. I think. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. By far. Yeah. Looks just like him. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Little, the little red bat thing that, like, it looked like Joe Quinones made it more like a heart monitor thing to kind of yeah. get that, that wavy feel, but that was cool. Yeah. 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 I yeah. love that. I, and I've been a fan of Joe Quinones. He did, he did the Green Lantern strip in Wednesday's comics. Remember when they did the newsprint, like, newspaper? Oh, that's right. Wednesday comics. He did the Green Lantern strip on that, which I think 
Kurt Busiek was the scripter on that one, and that was one of the better features I found from that one. Um, and then obviously he did um, Black Canary and Zatanna, their original graphic novel, which I covered on the first episode of uh, Power Fishnets. So. Yes, yes, that's a great that's a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah. This is a uh, you know this along with the the Superman seventy eight book with. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, it's hitting me right in the feels. It's hitting a lot of the guys, mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners right in the feels because, you know, um, all of us grumbling old uh, fan fanboys, aging fanboys who <laughs> a lot of us don't care for the modern comics. Uh, this is taking us right back where we live. So, uh, you know, good on DC for actually acknowledging the fact that we want to buy your product. Uh, so. <laughs> And actually, I, I will confess when I when the first when the news first broke and and you and Rob did that episode and you're gushing about it, I wasn't there with you guys. Like I, this was just me being kind of cynical and tired. But when the when I first heard about the news, I thought it reeked of desperation on DC's mm. part. I was like, this is a company that just doesn't know any other way to reach the older audiences that they're hemorrhaging and they just, this is like such a, a hail Mary thing. And and it just, I was like, this company is just, has no, nowhere to go. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just had a very dark and cynical take and I was like, this doesn't really interest me. And then after listening to you guys and then a couple of days later, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to read the first couple issues. I'm gonna, I, I, can't, I can't help myself. I got to check this out and I'll see. And, and, you know, if they're good, maybe we'll check that out. Maybe we'll do something on the podcast. Maybe we can like review, you know, the first couple digital issues or once, maybe once the whole thing is collected, I don't know. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I stopped being the grumpy old bastard and I was just like, you know, this could be really, really cool. And I'm not going to assume the worst case scenario off the bat. I'll wait till it's out and, and I'll yeah, and I'll, I'll check them out because I mean, obviously you know we're Batman podcast, but I'm just as curious about the Superman comic as the Batman one, so I'll check them out. I'll both. Yeah, I mean the the creative team on both is super solid, and and the artwork coming out from uh, Torres is doing the Superman comic, and Canone is doing the Batman comic, just looks phenomenal. But I mean, honestly, you're you're probably the the truth is probably in the middle. I mean, it is. I think DC is desperate to capture as much market share as they can. But I, I think they've they realized that it's like, well, we got this whole contingent of fans sitting over here grumbling. Maybe we should throw them a bone and see if they like, you know, but, you know, that that's kind of the feeling I get. Um, you know, it's like we can tap into this this audience that's kind of on the fence with us right nowadays because of, well, you know, because previous administrations have alienated them. So uh, and I mean, I'm not speaking for everyone. Obviously, there's guys that are. You know, in fact, I think you know in our feedback we get taken to task a little bit for grumbling about modern Batman comics. So, um, you know, obviously that's not everybody, but most of the people here on the network are kind of like, eh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can only speak for the Fire and Water guys. We're all kind of, um, yeah. you know, past our modern comic, modern superhero comic phase, and <laughs> in and a lot I, of ways, I, as often as I, I'm impossible, I, I try not to place a value judgment on modern comics because. We know, guys, we have plenty of friends, you know, in the network and everything. You know, Paul Hicks, Sean Ross, Martin Gray, Dr. Ange, these are guys who I love and whose opinions on comics I really value. And they're still keeping current with a lot of modern DC comics. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I can't, you know, I, I trust them that they, they like it, that they're finding something good. It's For me, it's not like, you know, modern comics suck. I just, 
I'm just not there. I don't care. And I have heard great things about books that should appeal to me, like the new Justice League Dark, the new Hawkman book that was out for the last couple of years. Like, these sound great, but I just look at them like, uh, maybe someday. And I just, I'm not feeling it, so... Yeah, I think that's the same with me. I mean, I, I I acknowledge that that they probably are good. They're well written, but they're the overall feel of the the universe just it doesn't appeal to me in general anymore. And I just I, I don't. It's easier for me to just stay out of it and kind of yeah. Well, you guys go enjoy it. I'm good over here. You know, that's kind of that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of my stance on it. But yeah, sometimes maybe we do come across a little grumbly. But um, these these uh, movie extensions that we're getting. I think they're definitely made to appeal to the uh, the grumpy uh, the grumpy old seventies, uh, eighties, nineties fanboy that's uh, a little a little distant from the company now. So so at least at least they're trying, I right. guess, whether it's desperation or not. <laughs> right, right. Whatever the motives may be, if the product is good, if it finds the audience, then that's a that's a success. Right, right, right. Okay, you ready to jump into Detective Comics number four oh seven? Yeah, I am. Take it away. Okay. So, Detective Comics number 407 was cover dated January 1971. It was on sale November 25th, 1970, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. On this classic cover, again by Neil Adams, Batman swings through a large cathedral, chasing the fleeing, crazed figure of the Man-Bat, who carries in his arms a very shapely bride in white wedding gown, seemingly pleading for the Cape Crusader to save her. The cover blurb reads, The Bride of Man-Bat. What do you think of this one, Ryan? I love this cover. This actually, the, I, as goofy as it is because of like the whole carrying the bride away and everything, this might be my favorite cover of the three that we've done. Mm. Um, and the other ones are pretty you know, e- epic and everything, especially with that first one when Batman and Man-Bat facing off over the like as giants above the city. I love this one. I love the composition with Man-Bat clutching the girl, carrying her. She's reaching behind for Batman. Batman is swooping around and like, the shape of his cape is kind of enveloping them. But also you've got the shape of the Detective Comics Batman and Batgirl logo behind him enveloping his cape. I just think it's a, it's a really great, really well laid out comic i i er, sorry cover i dig this and spoilers for like the next thing that you're going to describe in the description but the bride of man bat is a thousand times better a title than what the actual title of the story is it should have just been called the bride of man bat oh definitely yeah i have the same note yeah that's it definitely that yeah they whoever came up with the cover copy needed to you take the rest of the day off and they needed to change the title yeah uh, yeah, I really love the perspective on this one. The the way that the camera's like shooting down through the pews in the cathedral, it looks like Man Bat is literally going to run off the cover. Yes, uh, yeah. And, and and I love I love when comics do that. There's that great uh, Fantastic Four cover with um, where they're all charging out with the Inhumans. I can't think. Reed's got his finger all you know his his hand all stretched out and he's pointing, and Ben is right up in the camera like in the left-hand corner of the comic, and it literally looks like they're going to ro- bowl you over Like as, as you're looking at the cover. I love that. That's one of my favorite comic covers. And so this has got that kind of same feeling, like you're literally Man-Bat's going to run off the cover and run over your shoulder while you're looking at this cover. Um, and, yeah, I love it. Also, I, I, I know I know Martin Gray, I'm sorry. I, I usually don't like this, um, this logo, uh, but I love how the bat rope is – over the bat shape, but behind the text, and then Batman's ears are popping in front of the text, so it really gives that 
sense that Batman's like swinging through this cathedral somehow, but this logo's just kind of semi gotten in the way. I, I, I just love that kind of meta, a meta touch there. It's fun. I do too. That's a great little detail. Yeah. Uh, it was fantastic for issue 82. I just 82. had to look it up. <laughs> yeah. And it was like 81, 82, something like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I love that cover. So the cover, the story inside, as Ryan pointed out, is not Bride of the Man Bat. It is called Marriage Impossible. Dun, 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 Sorry. <laughs> Still on the air then. I guess that's why this title was going. Uh, so the story is by Frank Robbins, Art, Neil Adams, and Dick Giordano. Letters, John Costanza. And the editor was Julius Schwartz. Batman reads a newspaper story detailing the opening of a new bat exhibit at the Museum of Natural History, presided over by its creator, Professor Kirk Langstrom. Batman has been wondering where Langstrom had disappeared to after their last encounter. Most puzzling is the information regarding Langstrom's plans after the gala opening, namely a midnight marriage to his fiancée, Francine Lee. Batman races to the cathedral holding the ceremony, and just as the priest asks if anyone has any objections, the Dark Knight detective responds by ripping the face mask off of Kirk Langstrom, revealing the gruesome, inhuman visage of the Man-Bat. An angry Man-Bat flies off while Batman tries to reason with Francine, who insists on marrying her betrothed, no matter what physical and mental state he's in. All of this causes Batman to recall the last time he saw Langstrom. After Man-Bat injured himself trying to escape the Bat-Cave, Batman sought to cure the now fully mutated nocturnal mammal expert. But the Man-Bat regained consciousness, struck Batman, and flew up into the stalactites on the cave ceiling, screaming that he didn't want a cure now that he was more of a Batman than his former hero ever could be. Hoping Francine might be able to convince him to accept the cure, Batman left Man-Bat locked in the cave and headed back to Gotham for her. When they returned, Langstrom was gone, escaping through the fissure, which he used to enter the cave earlier that night. Batman took a distraught Francine back to her apartment and gave her a phone number to call in case Langstrom tried to contact her. In the cathedral, Francine begins to fill Batman in on what happened next. As soon as she entered her apartment, the man-bat came scratching at her window. Langstrom expected his fiancée to be repulsed by his appearance, but Francine threw herself into his leathery wings. But when she mentioned the antidote, Langstrom became enraged, ripping up the paper with the mass manhunter's number. Francine was lost, wondering what to do. But Langstrom had a plan, one that would test how much she loved him. Francine agreed to do anything he asked. He sent her to the museum where she convinced Mr. Wilkins, the curator, to let her borrow some items from his lab there. When she returned to her apartment, she begged Langstrom to reconsider, but he insisted on his course of action to prove her love was real. The next day, a very human-looking Kirk Langstrom showed up for work at the museum, much to the surprise of Wilkins. Langstrom insisted he have complete privacy to complete his two masterpieces— with the door to the lab slammed in his face, Wilkins wondered what two projects he could be working on. Inside, the man-bat pulled the human Langstrom disguise away and monologued to his bat brethren that his work would prove the extent of Francine's faithfulness to him. Francine tells Batman she has indeed remained faithful to Langstrom, and when Batman calls their marriage a mockery, she reveals to the Cape Crusader just how faithful she is. She pulls off a mask and wig to reveal the face of a she-bat beneath. She flies into the cathedral, rafters after her husband, while Batman chases after her, deducing Langstrom coerced her into taking the bat extract as well. Man-Bat doesn't want anyone hassling his bride and drops a large chandelier, which the cow crusader barely dodges. Batman, who is carrying a large syringe full of the antidote he created, seeks to stop them from escaping the cathedral, 
and climbs the stairwell to the bell tower. Below, the monstrous Francine pulls the rope, and the ear-splitting sound of the bell catches Batman off guard, long enough for the man-bat to lunge for him. Batman hangs over the tower railing with his legs as the rabid Langstrom strangles and pummels him with his clawed hands. But the Dark Knight manages to reach back to the landing and grabs the antidote syringe. He jabs it into Langstrom, who screams in agony just as his bride flies to his aid. Batman is able to inject her as well. He pulls himself onto the landing and watches as Kirk and Francine revert to their human forms. Kirk apologizes to the woman he loves for what he did, but Francine confesses they are both to blame, their love turning into an evil obsession. Batman leaves them thinking, now they have a fighting chance to make it as all two human lovers. So what do you think of this one, Ryan? This story is freaking weird, but I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, this, uh, like, we call this a trilogy, but really, I, I kind of consider the first two parts, 400 and 402, as sort of Kirk Langstrom's origin story. You know, the man, the origin of the main bat in two chapters. And this one is just a, a continuation. It's like, how do you raise the stakes when you've already got Man Bat? You're going to introduce the female version of it. Um, which surprised me, because even though I've read this before, I forgot about that development that she actually changes in the story. Um, but yeah, I, I like this. And I, I think of the three, I think this is my favorite, as weird as it is. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, like the other thing, like, we, we, you kind of mentioned this in one of the previous episodes or whatever. Because of the Adams style and the, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde nature of Langstrom and his condition and everything, if you took Batman out of this, it really feels like a House of Mystery, House of Secrets story from this era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could be that, you know, this could be like somebody that's a relative of Francine or a friend that knows – that there's something off with Langstrom, so he comes to break up the stop the wedding and pulls this mask off because he knows what Langstrom is. And right. yeah, you could take Batman out of this and it would work as a as a DC uh, mystery title, as they called him back then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we should all be so lucky to find someone who loves us as much as Francie loves Kirk, Kirk in this story, because this isn't like a Beauty and the Beast thing where the power of their love will turn him from a monster back into a handsome prince. It's like, no, do you love each other enough that you will turn yourself into a monster, too, to continue cohabitating with this subhuman thing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah. Francine, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know if the the writing of Francine holds up to modern standards quite. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that that's going to be a problem we're going to get to. But yeah, I, I like I like this too. It's it's a lot of fun, and that whole bride of thing. It just it just the bride of the man bats could be the title of a cool, you know. So, semi off brand horror movie from yeah. the you know yeah. the la- the late 40s or something like that uh, yeah. you know one of the many universal sequels or something like that exactly. so if universal or hammer had gotten their hands on this idea a few decades yeah. earlier right yeah it would have been great yeah uh i do like the device of catching up uh with by having batman read the paper uh you know because like we said they they dropped you know, it was 400 for the first chapter, 402 for the second, and then it was like 407 for this one. So it was quite a few issues in between. And I mean, Man Bat was left in the Bat Cave on the on the table when we left that issue, and then nothing. So they had to kind of do a device like this, and you know, in some way. But I, I like that. But I thought it was interesting because Batman's, you know, Adam shows Batman reading the paper, but then the next panel he's driving the Batmobile 
to the cathedral, but he's still quoting the paper. So I hope Batman's not reading and driving at the same time because that's not cool, especially in <laughs> especially in the Batmobile. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's fun. The priest says, and if anyone sees fit why this marriage should not be consummated, I do they say consummated? I mean, I usually hear should these two should not be joined, you know, uh, let them speak now or forever hold their peace or something. But consummator, are they supposed to go at it right there in the church? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Gotham's a weird place. We know that. But I think I think Frank Robbins just you just goofed on that one. <laughs> I, I do, too. I do, too. I was like, that's not usually the term. And maybe it is in some, you know, maybe I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not I'm not Catholic, but. You know, maybe somebody. You know, I I know you were raised Catholic, so I maybe maybe that. I, I've is never I've never heard that in a wedding ceremony. Yeah, I, I actually, was gonna say. I well, well, I mean, I don't I don't think they actually say that in wedding ceremonies anymore. I think they stopped doing that like ten twenty years ago, and that's just yeah. like really a, a, a trope that you see in in fiction and movies and television or everything like that. It's like they don't have that moment in the middle of the ceremony where somebody can interrupt it. They stop that. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's just a trope left in for TV and movies, you know, uh, in in comic books, but so that somebody can break it up. Because now that I should just say, does anybody know why these two shouldn't be joined? Just go to social media and bitch about it there. Uh, exactly. You know? It's like if you have a reason, probably should have come up before. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you're not close enough to object, so yeah. just uh, shut up. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, now, okay. I know it's a trope of comics from the Golden Age through the Bronze Age, but these convincing skin masks oh over boy. man bat ears. <laughs> my my favorite and least favorite thing in these in the Bronze Age of comics is this, like, okay, so he he's had this before, but like, yeah, these these masks that can cover the head of man bat who's got ears the size of his whole head and like fur and everything but the mask can cover to fool the priest and the clerk working there officiating the wedding but also this whole thing is set up where this is the midnight marriage after a gala event at the museum so they have been in public for several hours talking to their peers and colleagues and never tipped once. And also later, when Francie takes her mask off, Batman, world's greatest detective Batman, didn't know she, that wasn't her face. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, I do like how when Batman rips the mask off in the splash page, it, the, the look on Langstrom's face is, is awesome because he just he looks so shocked and shocked and angry at the same time. But I love how his ears are like flopping over mm-hmm. uh, to the left as Batman pulls him off like like a real bat's ears would, you know, um, you know, like, like a dog's ears like popped up. And and although it is kind of weird, it looks like his his bat wings are suddenly popping out from under like through his coat all of a sudden, like, you know, maybe, maybe they're not, maybe they were already there under, cause he had his, he's got his trademark cloak on. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I love that. I love that he's wearing the opera cape and now he has a reason to, cause it's covering the wings. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing he had that fashion sense, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, on the next page, I didn't think that Adams had redrawn any of this, but then I looked at the version on, uh, the DC Universe Infinite, and he has he redrew Francine's face, not extremely, but he made her look like in the original. She looks just like she's in shock and worried, but in the in the 
the redraw, she looks a little more. It's like she's slightly angry with Batman as she's talking to him. Mm. Uh, so that that's kind of. I mean, it's not as super obvious as some of Adam's redraws are, but there's some other alterations in this art we'll get to here. Mm. Oh, I, well, it's right up top here. I, for, I forgot to. Uh, uh, to mention that here, when Batman, when when Man Bat swipes at Batman on that same page, on page three, in the original, there's just a solid green background, and they're in like shades of blue, but somebody drew a rather crude, hastily drawn cathedral background, and I guess that would be Adams. Um, it's, well, I mean, I would say it's it's scratchy, it's not crudely drawn, but it's it's in the background of the digital version now, and I guess in the reprint, so... So Adams is redrawing stuff again. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've got the reprint from the the '80s, and it is still a solid green background. But they are colored in, like Man Bat and Batman. They're they're not solid colors. They're in their actual colors. Okay. Uh, so, did you think the you know Francine goes into her flashback here? So, did you think this uh, flashback device worked in this story? Yeah, I mean, once once I got into it, I mean, like when it starts, like I was like, "Hang on!" The last time we saw them, he was unconscious. Batman had him in the Batcave and was going to try and cure him. Now he's racing against the clock to stop his wedding because he's still the Man Bat. I was like, "Hang on, get us back to it." So yeah, the I, I mean, I did like that device because it instantly sucked me into the story with some questions, and then it did answer the questions before too long. Um, once we got into the flashback, I, I mean, I, I did kind of find it a little bit, yeah, it was a little bit bothersome that, you know, the, the end of the last issue had them fight and the fight was resolved. And then this one, the flashback is like, oh no, he just woke, he regained consciousness and they start fighting again. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of nah, but at the same time, I kind of forgave it because that's part of the story and the art looks really good. Like on page four, when we get that huge shot of man bat like flying forward towards us. Yeah, it looks like, you know, we talked about last time that Adams is kind of, there, was, there wasn't that much uh, innovation in his layouts in the last chapter, but at this one he's he's back to it because Man-Bat splits that whole, that huge image of Man-Bat that yeah. was reused quite a few places, yeah. is, is splitting up that whole page, and it looks great. Um, you know, he's breaking the, he's breaking every panel border, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so so that's a nice, nice bit, so yeah. I, I do, uh, I do, you know, you gotta wonder what that what the phone number was that Batman gave to Francine. I mean, is it, you know, is it the, the, the actual phone number for the, the hotline that commissioner Gordon uses? And I mean, it's, I hope it's not Bruce Wayne's phone number. Cause that might, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's so funny now, you know, like they give, give somebody a phone number on paper. It seems so, you know, old and archaic that you don't just share their phone, your phone number with them on their phone or, you know, let me text my phone number to you. (laughs) I think it was his private line. I think, I think Batman got a sense that this girl's kind of a freak. She's into some like bat fetish guys and everything like that. I could probably play this up if we never see Kirk Langstrom again. Well, he's, he's calling her Francie all of a sudden out of nowhere. they're, They're close. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he just met her, but he's calling her Francie, which she was not referred to as Francie in the previous comic. But uh, now Langstrom calls her Francie, Francie here too. But uh, you know, he, you know that's his that's her fiance. So I can you know, he could have like a you know a nickname, pet name for her or whatever. So, but uh, yeah. Uh, but now we get to the part you know, like you said, where Francine just you know. She's not a very strong female here. She's she's willing to do what her man wants her to do, even if it means turning into an inhuman monster. So, 
most of your horror leads in 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 movies won't even do that. They will be like their devotion will like cut off at that point. You know, once they, <laughs> once they realize that their love their lover is a some kind of hideous creature, uh, you know, th- they won't go that far. I mean, they'll try to help them cure them, but they're not willing to like go in with them. You know what I'm saying? So right. she's. Francine signed up for the timeshare, you know, she's in, she's all in. So, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, if he could have, if he could have like actually done like a sales pitch, like on like, you know, like it was some of the getting back to the, the animated series. If like, he's talking about like how bats can survive, you know, evolutionary cataclysms and like the, the survival traits and how he's actually, you know, superior to a normal man, the things that he could do, you know, just like flying or something. Like if, if we just saw some weird kind of, you know, psychological process where Francie was into this type of thing or something like that, or she, or she kind of like bought into it. But just the fact that she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll destroy my life and my humanity and we'll have to basically sleep in caves from now on, uh, lest we be chased by villagers with pitchforks and torches. Um, all because I love you. That's, uh, that's, yeah, not the strongest female agency in the world, but yeah, I mean that. The, I think what even makes it worse that she admits what he asked of her was awful, and she paints him as very demanding and creepy. Like when he's watching her, that one panel on page mm-hmm. eight when he's watching her walk out. I mean, but but yet she's still going to go through with it without pretty much without. She might question it, but she doesn't really rebel against it at all. She's literally just you know, yeah. It's it's kind of hard to kind of hard to swallow. I mean, like if. You know, I mean, I don't want to see her get roofied and like he sneaks up behind her and ejects her or anything. But at the same time, it's, you know, you could accept it more than and then when she gets the formula, she's addled like he is and she's willing to go along with it. But no, she's she's willing to go along with it in her right mind, whatever that is. So <laughs> at the same time, I like the fact that they actually did. And we're jumping like, uh, ahead a couple pages, but I like the fact that she she did like that. They turned her into she bat or woman bat or lady bat, whatever. Because um, yeah. I thought that was a very cool reveal. That again, even I had forgotten that they did that in the in the story. Um, but, but I loved it, and I think. I mean, there's lots of things that you could do with that, like that, like if she, if that turns her, if she becomes somehow more interesting that way. I mean, um, it's it's a trope that has been done in other stories, but I'm thinking about like an eye vampire, um, you know, that that strip that started in the House of Mystery, um, mm-hmm. the long one. Um, you know, like when uh, Andrew Bennett, you know, becomes a vampire, one of the first things he does is he turns the love of his life into a vampire so they can live together forever. And once she becomes a vampire, she becomes cruel. She becomes insane. She becomes the the terrible killer, and it ends up destroying them. And and they have like this this you know blood feud against each other for centuries. Um, and it's it's kind of cool just because he 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 turned her because he didn't want to be alone. But the curse ended up driving this wedge between them. And I thought, wouldn't that have been interesting if she if she turned into a like she bat or something like that? But it it didn't they you know they didn't have a happy life as this bat couple it, it somehow made things worse i don't know yeah no that would have been that would have been cool to, to go in that direction yeah I, that kind of storyline it would have made this part of it worth it and then and then you could have then you could have surmised okay there really was something up with francine before <laughs> before this happened that she but you know the way they're literally the you know the way that robbins is writing them they're literally the the, the the couple that science you know 
uh, science has gone wrong for them. They, you know, the the the, the, the mad, not even the mad scientists, but the curious scientists that that went one step too far. You know, that's yeah. that's a trope in horror and sci-fi movies, and they're not supposed to be unstable. That just, you know. They did this, and and I mean, we'll get to the end, but you know, then they're all apologetic to each other. So, but you know, the fact that Francine's like hell, not you know, she's not like hell, no, I'm not doing that. That's just it. It it is kind of a little hard to swallow reading, but it's the end result. It, it's a fun story, and it is the visual of her as the she bat is uh, is great, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But uh, so we see. Uh, Langstrom goes back to the lab to create the serum again once Francine comes. So did Francine just retrieve him the stuff to make his convincing Langstrom mask because he has to go back? So. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess because he still completes the test in, in his lab, so he has to go there. So, yeah, I have no idea what she had to go out and get in the first place. But um, the the middle panel, though, on page nine – the close-up of Kirk's face. First of all, what color are his eyes in your in your version? Uh, in my version, they're not even colored. His face is like basically gray because he's supposed to be in shadow. Okay. Uh, and they're they're not colored at all. They're just okay. white. So in my version, his his face is colored. It's it's he's in he's definitely in the shadow, but it's like a dark it's like a dark brown. Um, Okay. Almost, base, almost like the the way they would color an African American character like brown, but it's also like shaded with a little bit of like an orange and then a yellow. So you definitely get the the sense that part of him is in light and part of him is in shadow. But his eyes are red. Um, mm. it, it's it's got it's like a definitely it's like a, a hammer vampire type of look. And I was just wondering if you can do you recognize that face? It really seems to me like Adams is modeling that off of somebody, but I can't figure out who it might have been. Yeah, it does look like somebody. I, I I'm not sure. Langstrom's face seems to morph. I mean, he he definitely looks younger here than he did in Detective 400. He just well, this isn't he, his real face. It's a mask. Yeah, well, that's true. It's a face <laughs> mask. Yeah, it's you know maybe but, maybe he borrowed maybe he's like John Carpenter and borrowed a William Shatner Captain Kirk mask or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know, uh, from like Michael Myers. Uh, the thing that really got me in that panel is in the original. There's just this yellow background i mean there's very little background in that panel because wilkins you know his eyes and his glasses as you're looking like past him to langstrom and then langstrom's face take up most of the panel but and i guess this is adams again in the current version that's out digitally there is a photo of a museum in the background like of a dinosaur skeleton yeah. um it, it, it's very jarring i mean i know adams used used photography like in 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 batman number 251 uh joker's five-way revenge when batman's walking away from the cathedral after he saw the nun um that's a photo of a real cathedral Mm. um so i mean but that it was done the way they could do it back in comic books back then you know this looks like almost like the the uh uh fometti style that john byrne has used on those star trek comics Uh uh-huh uh, so it it really jumps out at you, and it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's not on mine. Mine is a solid background. Yeah, it's really it's really strange. I don't have that DC Universe version open right now. I'm looking at the original comic, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a kind of a weird way to to futz with that. But mm. uh, yeah, uh, of course, then we get the big reveal, as you said, on page eleven. It's really well done. I mean, it's. 
it you know even though we knew what was going on you know as we as we kind of read that you know if you read the story you're kind of like well here's oh, oh here we come here she's obviously langstrom's two masterpieces you know but he sells the shock and the horror for all it's worth i mean it takes up the full height of the page and about two-thirds the width so i mean that's that's adam's you know you know turning comic um convention on its head again layout convention but i kind of wish she kept the long hair because when she first flies off i don't know i guess that's a wig too i said it was in the synopsis because later she doesn't have long hair but she's got long hair in the second panel on page 11 as she flies away and i think that would have been kind of a a cool visual to separate the the look of the two but they didn't stick with it so and but then the animated series couldn't get away with tricking us. Well, actually, they'll do that in the comics too. When spoiler warning, Francine becomes a, a she bat again. I don't know what you call her. I've heard her referred to as she bat because woman bat sounds horrible. It does. So, <laughs> yes. On the, on the other hand, I love uh, at the, the top of page twelve when she flies off after him. She goes, "Man bat, dearest, where are you?" Is like you refer to your husband as man bat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a new condition. You can only call me Manbat from now on. Kirk was my human name. Wouldn't the crashing chandelier and the bell hurt their ears, too? I mean, a dripping faucet hurt Kirk's in Detective Number 400. Yeah, I I was saying, I was like, wouldn't they be more sensitive to that than Batman? (laughs) I you would think this is almost like the end of the how Spider-Man got rid of the symbiote the first time around. Almost, yeah, you, know, you would yeah, think yeah. that that would almost work. But uh, now I think it's kind of funny. And, you know, Adams is a great storyteller, of course, but he never draws a syringe in Batman's hand before he actually like is bent over the uh, the railing and is reaching back for it. So I, th- I think that was kind of something they. They probably should have shown him holding it and then dropping it when the bell went off. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's a little it's a little kind of out of nowhere. He mentioned it that he had enough. Hopefully, he's got enough. He's got a big dosage, so he's got hopefully got enough for two people. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought that was a little bit of a a minor storytelling letdown there. But uh, but you know, yeah, and I, I almost wonder if that was done Marvel style if the text was written that way to kind of explain it because. The, the art kind of forgot about that detail or something. But. Yeah, I mean, I know we know sometimes Adams loses little details, like if Batman's utility belt should be on or off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I mean, like, it's the layout is really cool how we get the three panel, like that little triptych of Batman's hand getting closer to the syringe and trying to like, grab it and everything as he's making crude, you know, <laughs> dialogue in the word balloons. Um, and we have to basically kind of infer and, and also hear from the text that he's basically getting his ass kicked during that thing and like as his as his hand. But like we don't really get a good shot of Man Bat assaulting him, like like beating him or scratching him or anything like that. We we hear that, but we don't see it. So it's interesting. interesting. I never noticed before that he's got I was just looking at it now in the panel where he's like He's striking Batman. He's got his foot on Batman's abdomen. Mm-hmm. He's like basically standing on Batman as he's as he's pummeling him. That's even worse. He's not like floating above him or anything. He's like standing on him. So yeah. it's like that's pretty monstrous. Yeah, it literally it's like a feral creature just like you know on top of you or something. Yeah. But the the panel where he ejects uh, Man Bat's really great. The look on his face as the anguish and. And then I love the the transition that Adams does on uh, on page fifteen with the 
the four panels showing them revert to human. That's, you know, that's really cool. It's like, it's, it's like it's one large panel, but it's, um, well, you know, Langstrom, it, it basically shows Kirk, uh, as he changes back. That's, that's a nice, I mean, it looks like something that you may be seeing a Hulk comic or something, but it, it's, it's just really well done. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Batman's line at the very end doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> like when, when they're holding each other now that they've reverted back to human he, he's got this thought bubble now they have a fighting chance to make it as all two human lovers it's like that, that's the kind of thing you say like when somebody's love has been tested that is not the thing that has been tested in this story like their love and their commitment to each other is not questioned at this point at all. It's like now, it's like now they have a fighting chance to find out. It's like we just turned ourselves into monsters. It's like, like it's like, what do you say? Like, are they going to get divorced after this, or like, are they going to have the marriage annulled because they don't have wings anymore? It's like, no, but it's like. Now you have to find out, do they need to be hospitalized? Have they broken any laws, or should they go to jail? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's that's true. I mean, yeah, I, I guess he, I guess that's Robin's, like, just general, like, marriage is hard, kids. So, yeah, exactly. You know, like, that's, that, that's kind of what that was. It's like, how would you know, Batman? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the last the, yeah, the same, because married? the same thing goes back to marriage, impossible, the title. It's like, of course, they, somebody was watching Mission Impossible, but it's like, what the, what a stupid title for this! It's like, you know, yeah, it's like, this isn't about how hard it is to you know to stay faithful and true to to the, your love and everything. And uh, no, it's uh. you, Frank Sinatra, singing "Love and Marriage, Love and Marriage." As Batman, yeah. you know, walks away. Yeah, and not the theme to uh, you know "Married with Children," although it was. Uh, but 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 uh, yeah, it's. It is a strange. I mean, it's it's one of those super quick endings that you know. But movie horror movies did that too back in the day. You know, they would just end. And every time we watch one, it doesn't matter how many times Cindy has watched them over the years. She's like, uh, 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 we, we didn't find out, blah blah blah. I'm like, what did you expect? We don't get epilogues in old horror movies. You know, <laughs> they just they just end. So this is kind of the same way. Batman walks away, and you don't know what's going to happen to the Langstroms, and or you know if they're even married. What's going to happen to Kirk and Francine? We both know. I, I thought it's funny. You know. Yes, Kirk is pretty much to blame, but Francine didn't do anything to help either of them, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you guys both suck. You know, I'm just, <laughs> you're basically, you are both to blame. You really are, because Francine was such an enabler that, I mean, she is beyond enabler. Let's just. She walks away. That. I give it six months. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, I'll be reading the paper to see when they file for divorce, I guess, you know, or something. <laughs> Uh, now, this is the final Man-Bat story in regular comics drawn by Neil Adams. Of course, we get Robin meets Man-Bat for the Power Records, which uh, you know is a direct sequel to these stories and actually reuses some of the artwork from a few uh, few choice panels here and there, but it has Adams and, and Giordano and or Continuity Studios folks um, you know, doing the inking and things like that, so... Uh, so, what are your overall thoughts on this trilogy, Ryan? I I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Uh, some of it is silly, and some of it doesn't hold up as well. Um, I think where there are flaws or like minor minor little inconsistencies and in details. I mean, I wonder had this been scripted by Denny O'Neill, 
you know, if he had had the same basic plot, but, you know, if Denny had been writing it, I assume it would have been stronger. Um, but I still think it's it's very cool, interesting. There's things where you're like, you're, yeah, they were young artists just flying by the seat of their pants, and who knows what where Julie Schwartz was uh, giving them notes or where he was letting them go. Um, overall, I think the the three stories are really really cool. I really like this last chapter as nuts as it was. Um, but it's a good. I mean, if people like Man Bat or like they like that idea, it's really cool. It's I I think more than anything, like I was struck by. I have an image of Man Bat in my head based on the animated series and more modern comics, which is just like the full on animalized version where he's just wearing pants, but like the top half is all creature. And now I'm really, really kind of in love with this, like the the universal or the hammer horror version of Man Bat, which is one wearing a suit, wearing an opera cape, but he's got wings on his arms underneath the cape, and he's got the Man Bat face. Like, I want that action figure now. I want to see that in the movie. Something that's a little bit more, a little bit more human, something that they could have done in the studios in the 1950s with just prosthetics and makeup um, that they didn't need the full CGI and motion capture for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I've, I've, like we said, I think in the first one, I kind of missed this. I mean, this is the man bat that I grew up with. It was a backup and detective and, and Batman family, you know, things like that. So when I was really, really young, uh, you know, so the more monstrous man bat, which actually comes more from the animated series, um, you know, it, it I, I miss this guy. And, and, and of course, you know, from here, him and Francine reappear in Detective 416 and 429, where they're both written and drawn by Frank Robbins, uh, who was quite the controversial artist for uh, Batman back then. Lots of angry letters from fans who did not dig his style. And then Robbins wrote him one more time. Just in wait Batman. till he started drawing the invaders and he had Captain America's legs bending the wrong way. Right, exactly. And he drew Captain America too. So yeah. <laughs> and then he drew the human the the uh the human fly which uh, we know is a favorite of uh of our buddy Max Romero. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh Robbins wrote him one more time in Batman 254 where he's drawn by Irv Novick then and then he dropped by a uh, team up uh with Batman and Brave the Bold 119 handled by Bob Haney and Jim Apero. So his second writer to handle him was Bob Haney. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, then he was awarded a very, very short-lived series titled Man Bat, initially written by Jerry Conway and drawn by Steve Ditko. And if you guys have never seen that comic, you get to see Steve Ditko drawn by Bat- Batman drawn by Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko drawn by Batman would be interesting because we actually don't know much what Steve Ditko looked like. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Batman... The way he draws Batman is like his face, his lower face is always in shadow. It's it's a really strange look. But uh, unfortunately, issue number two had a totally different creative team in Martin Pasco and Pablo Marcos. And then the book got canceled, although sources claim Carmine Infantino, who was the publisher, hadn't even got the numbers back on the book. And he went ahead and canceled it. So uh, from there, Man Bat transitioned to a couple of detective backups before he took you know, backup feature place in Batman Family, starting with number 13, which, of course, was a title devoted to Robin and Batgirl stories. So that tells you for a brief period how important of a character Man Bat was in the Batman mythos that he actually was in a book with Batman's two chief sidekicks that everybody knows. Uh, so, yeah, in the 70s, Man Bat was huge. And, uh, this was the beginning, so it was fun to go back and uh, check it out. I think I think they're a lot of fun. 
there is some wonkiness about them, but it, that's that's part of the charm. And yeah. uh, I just love them to death, and they look beautiful. This is this is peak Neil Adams, so mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, we'll take a quick break when we come back. Ryan will tell you all about Batman number four fifty four. It's Citizen Kane Minute. Hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a collection of special guests, Citizen Kane Minute will examine the greatest film of all time, five minutes at a time. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Batman 454 has a cover date of September 1990. According to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the on-sale date was July 24th, just three weeks after the previous issue. This issue cost $1. The cover by Mike Mignola and George Pratt shows Batman sort of walking up to the Riddler, whose face is completely covered in shadow, so is Batman's, by the way, but whose hair appears white and kind of maybe seems to be standing in the outstretched hand of a demon, I'm gonna say it's Barbathos, uh, that looms over them. This demon has the same visage as the gargoyle and statuary seen on the last two covers. The logo, once again, includes the title Dark Knight, Dark City, Part 3 of 3. What do you think? Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a sharp cover. This is, you know, another another great one. I love the positioning of the demon because it looks like he's either enveloping the Riddler or he's coming out of him. Uh, it's, you know, he could be holding him. He could be, like, rising from him. Uh, and it looks like they're standing in some kind of creepy swamp or something, which of course doesn't fit the story, but it's still neat. Yeah, this is, and I love how Batman, like basically in the armpit of Barbados, you know, it's like, <laughs> it makes this negative space, like, and Batman's there. So it's, it's, it's really well composed. So I just, it's, it, and it's very, very moody and Barbados, Barbathos or Barbados or whatever we're going to call him. He, he is a scary looking dude. I mean, he's, you know, Mignola just with very few lines can just draw such horrific looking images. I'm not as big on this cover. I'm not as high on this cover. Um, I don't think it's bad I, because I, I think part of just like Mignola's natural style and everything, as you say, it's sharp. It's very eye catching. Um, there's like striking and like the three figures and Barbathos's face and everything you like drawn to that. But kind of the the shape and the placement, something about the composition, like it took me years to actually figure out like what that was. I just thought that was some weird thing in the background, and like the face was more like symbolic. Like I didn't get the sense like that his it was a body with an arm outstretched, and like the placement of the logo and title covering like maybe these were like it's like a bat's body with that face and everything, and then the the, the hand on the the clawed hand by Riddler's legs. I didn't notice those at first. I just thought it was some weird nebulous kind of background shading and everything that that Mignola does and it just he kind of like made it look like that face so I was like why don't we see the Riddler's face like why is that all in shadow like I I was I I mean again I I've I've warmed up to it a little bit since then but like looking at it the first time around I was like you know the the 452 cover with Batman through the through the cityscape swinging or flying is like all-time iconic I love it the Batman fighting the zombies in the in the graveyard is you know striking. It's a beautiful image, and I was like, this one sucks in comparison to those. <laughs> now I don't I don't think it's that bad, but I don't know. I I just I think 
yeah, the, the demon, just something about it, and maybe it's just how much of it is covered up by the logo, or just, like, the placement, the way, how much, like, negative space is around Batman. I don't know, it just, it doesn't, it, it's not, it doesn't work for me that well. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I that's perfectly valid. I mean, I, yeah. the, the only thing I can say is, I think, when I saw it, and I, th- I still feel this way, I guess, and I guess that's back, you know, back when I was hoping to be a comic book artist, so... I paid attention to how, like, you know, the composition, like, literally, if you follow from from uh, uh, read left to right, you can follow the demon's arm and follow it through his head and around the Riddler and then back up to Batman. It just creates this circle, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, and I it, see it now, and, yeah. and you just, you just keep, like, and it just keeps you staring into the, you know, at the cover again. You notice other things. That, that's what I, because the, the hand brings it back up to Batman, you know, mm-hmm. so... That's kind of – I think the cover treatment, as much as I I love it, I think it lets this cover down. I think if it had just the normal Batman logo up top without all this Dark Knight, Dark City um, business like coming down so far into the cover, you would have saw more of the wing of the demon and it would have it would have created that uh, that illusion uh, better, you know, and yeah. it would have sold the cover better. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but then I like the fact that the the Riddler's face being shadowed is showing that he's been darkened. You right, know, right? It right. definitely fits the story. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The symbolism there is it actually does work when you put it in context. But yep. All right, moving on. Dark Knight, Dark City Part Three is written by Peter Milligan, penciled by Kieran Dwyer, inked by Dennis Yankee, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Denny O'Neill. Batman uses a dirty knife to cut a baby's throat, performing an emergency tracheotomy to save the infant from choking to death on a ping-pong ball. You know, the same type of hijinks Adam West used to do on the Batman television series. (laughs) The Dark Knight then climbs out of the sewer with the baby and rushes it to the hospital where he's placed in critical condition. In the Batcave, Bruce and Alfred consider the Riddler's latest clue— only one left, a little boy crawler. You'll find lots of him, though shorter and taller. Batman plots the locations of Riddler's previous activity on a map of Gotham, and it looks like an incomplete question mark. Following that, he projects the next point will be at the Coonies Circus Land and muses the clue could refer to the Hall of Mirrors. He also anticipates that the last point of Riddler's question mark plot will be at Stockman Square, an unremarkable, run-down part of Gotham that, centuries ago, of course, belonged to Jacob Stockman. Cut to Jacob Stockman's journal again. Near the end of his tortured life, he wrote about the woman, the sacrificial victim who they locked in the cellar of his barn when they tried to summon the demon Barbathos. Stockman pictured her scratching and clawing the sealed door until her fingers were bloody stumps, until she finally collapsed and died on the floor, alone in the dark with no hope. Stockman sheds a tear of regret, knowing that his horrible actions condemned not only the woman, but his own soul to eternal hell. Batman goes to the circus and enters the Hall of Mirrors, where he finds the fourth and final baby, along with a goat. One of Riddler's goons with a flamethrower tries to roast Batman, but he dodges the flames. The goon vanishes... Batman gives the baby to the police and proceeds to a Q&A storage building at Stockman Square. Riddler's henchmen are ready for Batman, but when the door opens, it's the goat that runs inside, surprising the goons. 
Batman gets the drop on them, but as he is swinging from one of the rafters, the old rotten wood snaps and he falls, knocking himself out. The goon with the flamethrower is ready to torch Batman when the Riddler shoots him in the gut. Riddler says he needs Batman alive, for the moment, and drags him off. Batman wakes up in the basement, what used to be the Dark Temple, tied up on the sacrificial altar. Riddler monologues his evil plan. He discovered the journal of Jacob Stockman, and a voice crept into his head, feeding him ideas to replicate the dark ritual and control the demon Barbathos that was already summoned. He had to make Batman perform the same preparations as the woman hundreds of years ago. First, Batman had to kiss a hanged man. He gave mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to the guard. Then he had to bathe in blood. Riddler blew up the blood transfusion lab, drenching Batman. Then he had to dance with the dead, Riddler's fake corpses in the cemetery throwing themselves at Batman. Then Batman had to slay a wild animal. He killed the dog that Riddler turned loose on him. Then he had to spill the blood of an unbaptized child, getting Batman to perform the tracheotomy. Finally, he had to dance in front of the devil, acrobatically leaping over fire in front of the goat in the Hall of Mirrors. With all of that achieved, the Riddler raises his dagger high to kill Batman, fulfilling the ritual that will place the demon under his control. But the demon isn't interested. It calls out of the darkness, telling Riddler that it manipulated him the entire time, that it's been in Gotham for centuries, that it is Gotham, the Dark City, and it wants Batman, the Dark Knight. The basement starts to collapse. Riddler drops the knife and rushes up the stairs and slams the cellar door shut. While Batman frees himself with the dagger, Riddler picks up the flamethrower and sets fire to the basement door. The demon Barbathos shows Batman a vision of the ritual that summoned it, with Stockman and all the other men fleeing in terror at the sight of a dark-winged monster, which turned out to be nothing more than a bat that flew inside the temple. The would-be victim was trapped and died there, but so too was Barbathos, trapped in the dark cellar with no form and no host, and so over time its evil and malignancy seeped into the earth, into the foundation of the building, and spread to include all the buildings and plants and animals. Everything that was Gotham City was Barbathos. It created the bat that flew through Bruce Wayne's window. It created the urban crime that killed Thomas and Martha Wayne. Gotham created Batman so that he might eventually set it free. That could only happen when Batman's spiritual sister, the sacrificial victim, who speaks to Batman from beyond death and calls herself Dominique, is freed from this place and given a proper burial. Batman tries to escape, but the door is sealed and the building is burning. But just when all hope seems lost, Alfred opens the door. Batman wraps his cape around Dominique and carries her out of the burning building. In the street, he reveals that she is no more than a skeletal corpse. Days later, Batman feels that the corrupting spirit of Barbathos has faded away, but it won't be gone until Batman can set Dominique's soul at rest, so he takes her body and buries it in the Wayne family mausoleum. The placard where her bones are interred lists her as Bruce Wayne's sister. The End all right, Chris, what did you think? Oh, man, what a strange journey this story has been. Um, I still really dig this. I Again, I feel somewhat of a hypocrite uh, for liking this story because <laughs> there's elements in this, this comic that are the type of thing that I don't like in modern comics, modern superhero comics. But like we said, it's an outlier back during this period. So 
Uh, I liked it then, and I still like it now. There's some elements of it that I think are maybe take things a bit too far, which we'll get to. But overall, this is I, – I, I guess in a way it's not as uh, forgotten as I thought it was because after you tipped me off, I had no idea that any of this ever came back. But I've since done some research, and we'll get into that. But uh, I'm glad somebody did remember it because uh, it's – it was a standout for me back then, and it just seemed like for years no one talked about it. So yeah, but we'll get we'll get into all that. So what what did you think? I with with a few little I had a few little problems with it, but overall I loved it. Um, I like this whole story. I think it's very very different, a very unique kind of take on Batman that gets into the world of the supernatural. It puts one foot in the supernatural, but it's not all the way there. Um, and I think Batman can straddle that line really, really well at times. Um, you get a sense of gothic horror. You get a sense of the evil that people do lives on much longer after they're gone. And that like these crimes and these terrible actions have these legacy effects. And even the sense that Gotham is kind of a cursed city. That something happened like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be overdone, but just something kind of in the background that a little bit of the extra flavor for Batman to for Gotham to differentiate it from other cities. How do you explain how bad the urban crime is? How bad? How many people are just literally insane walking those streets? (laughs) Like how how bad? Like the mental health epidemic is in Gotham to explain the crime rates, to explain how the police is so bad, to explain that it needs somebody like Batman uh, in just comparison. Like, it just seems when it when it's written that extremely, when it just seems like a hellscape on Earth, I think it uh, it's kind of interesting to go back and say there is literally like a, a demon in the soil that, that Gotham was built upon or something like that. It's kind of an interesting background little explanation that again i don't think they have to play up that all the time um but just as a little kind of a a little ingredient i think is cool um yeah yeah and and yeah it's i'm the same way where it's like i don't want batman to be you know super grim dark but this is certainly a story that walks right up to there i mean on the first page we get the line, he takes a deep breath and slits the little cherub's throat. It's like, food, dude. Yeah. And with his back time. to us, in the like, you just see the shadow of his you know, back as he's performing this thing. And then he's out there running with the baby. And I love on page two that the shot of him running with, clutching the baby to him uh, on the street. I love that, that panel. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, uh, I mean... Uh, Dwyer again, you know, delivers uh, his his Batman. The first Batman in panel one on the splash page does look very Bray Fogle again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's got that very Bray Fogle look. But yeah, I love on page two the gritted the gritted teeth. Like Batman's just, I mean, it's like he's it, you can just tell he not only is he determined to get this kid to the hospital, but just the mental anguish of what mental anguish of what he just had to do is on his face. Right. Um, you know, it's. I mean the humanity Batman's humanity this is a very human Batman in this in this story. I think that's one thing that makes it palpable to me is that Batman is, you know, he's reacting to this as any sane person would react to all this these insane things that the Riddler is putting him through. Right. Uh it but but that doesn't make him any less determined to 
do you know to to save as many people as he can while all this is going on and uh you know if we had the total emotionalist uh batman that that um that you know in later years like kind of took over um I, I don't know if i could stand the story as much but this is this is definitely um uh, a caring stable person you know despite the fact that he wears a you know bat costume it's a dc universe it's just an option to run around in tights you know <laughs> it's perfectly valid valid occupation it's you know it's not he's not a, he's not an island onto himself so um yeah it's it's great it's and i and i do like you know when you were saying that about the gotham having that literally in its soil to me that kind of reminds me like Milligan was trying to to give um, Gotham something that James Robinson was able to do with Opal City. He mm. created this, like the like literally the the, the city was a character in Starman. Yeah. Like, and there yeah. there were all these different. There was the 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 nobody goes out to Turk County. That's like the the county that Opal sits in because it's really it's like this. You know, there's no suburbs. There's just county. It's like because no city dwellers wanted to live out there. You know, that's that same type of like there's there's just something something unearthly to a point about it. You know, and I I, I like that aspect. And like you said, they could dial it up or dial it down or totally ignore it as they needed to. But, you know, for the most part, in the next 20 some years uh people ignored it but uh but we'll get back into the into the uh the, the, the blow right. by blows here <laughs> right. and i love like the the little moment at, at the hospital with batman who's you know clearly yeah this this was a traumatic event for him and he's he's trying to process it and i love it gordon says if the worst comes you didn't kill him the riddler did you know when when the baby michael's condition is still unstable and he's like you got three babies left you know you're doing this so um and then, yep. yeah, and then I, I like the art. Like it's like the sun is rising on the on Wayne Manor, or I, I think it's rising, could be setting, um, uh, with Batman. And we get Batman, and Alfred is thinking about the clue too. I like that. Yep, Alfred in his sweater again. It's very casual, Alfred in this story, which I like. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's he's not got his tux jacket on all the time. He's you got know, the cardigan over. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, he's still he's still got a bow tie on, but you know, he's not he's not a savage, but he. <laughs> 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 He's still a gentleman's gentleman. That's right. <laughs> oh, Stockman! I mean, his um, his confession. You know, I love the image that that uh, Dwyer. You know, he drawing Stockman the in on page four. That just the look on his face. He looks just like a man who is just has been tortured for years by this. And and then the next page, just the image of. Of well, we later find out Dominique clawing at that door. I mean, her her fingers do look shorter than they should be. Like she's literally mm-hmm. like rubbed her fingers down into bloody stumps, and there's all that blood and just the look on her face, and then her emaciated body as she's just like reaching for the ladder at this point. That's just awful to think that that somebody died that way. I mean, you know, on top of being horrified, even if there was nothing in that basement just the idea that you were left there to just literally rot and wither away is just oh mm-hmm. it's, yeah and it's it's really well put across by uh by dwyer yeah yeah no yeah i yeah i had the exact same thing in my notes that those pages are pretty pretty strong yeah Ooh. um do you think the joker was kind of pissed off that riddler had part of his plan at the circus <laughs> <laughs> 
I think so, and I couldn't help but think of the Killing Joke mm-hmm. uh, because the, the whole Hall of Mirrors. I mean, yep. this was just a few years before the darkening of the character. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, that's would've, this would have come out just two, three years after Killing Joke. Two years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely was like, this is more of a Joker thing, you know. Um, although I, I think it's funny because at the, um, you know, the first panel of the of the Coonies Circus Land or whatever it's called. There's uh, there's several posters and and there's one for it looks like it might be saying the amazing Carlini, which was, of course, Mike Carlin. And there's just a guy named Danny with a big nose. That might be Danny Fingeroth, who was yeah. a Marvel editor, who, whose caricature had a huge nose when they would show him in the the bullpen bulletins or something. And then, of course, there's one for uh, who or what is the Ordster. And, of course, <laughs> Jerry that's Jerry Ordway. Ordway. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Just fun stuff. Yeah. And then there's, um, uh, like, right beneath, like, the, the ticket sale, it says, Greg W. puked here. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Gregory Wright or whatever? Was he a editor, assistant editor or something? And maybe a, that's a name that pops up in my head. That's not email on this book, is it? No, uh, I don't see Was anything. there a Greg Weiss or Weissman or something? Uh, shoot. Yeah, there's a Greg Weissman, yeah. That might be him, too. I think there was a Gregory Wright that was like an associate editor or assistant editor or something. So it might be him. Yeah. If you listeners know, let us know exactly. But yeah, I, I, and Danny might be somebody else, but the big nose, I, they always drew Danny Finger off. He was always a Marvel guy, but they always mm. drew him with a huge nose, his caricature. And, and, and Dwyer had spent more time at Marvel. So I'm kind of wondering if he didn't sneak that in. So yeah, yeah, good. All these little yeah. graffitis are really good. I'm sure there's a bunch in there that we can't even see because of the way it was printed. Yeah. Um, this scene though, once we get to like the whole goat and the baby and, and the guy making him like leap over fire and everything, it happens really quickly. And at the, like, even as I'm reading it, I'm like, well, why, why are we doing here? It kind of seemed like they just, they had all of these little rituals that they had to repeat. And this one was the one that just felt really unnecessary. Like they're like, okay, we just have to go through the motions. Let's get this over really quickly. And I kind of felt like that it that one felt a little superfluous and a little pointless. Yeah, I think I think that one in that one there's the stakes kept getting raised in the rituals. If I think that one maybe should have been put uh, early on in the series. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, once yeah, once you had the choking bait, once he had to, he literally had to kill the dog and then slit the baby's throat and everything like that. Then just dodging a flamethrower and, and saving a baby that's just like left there next to a goat. I was like, that, yeah, those seem really really pedestrian you're right maybe if the order had just been changed and those had come earlier that would have been something yeah i do like that batman uses the goat as a decoy later <laughs> yeah, he, he keeps it and uses it as a weapon of course batman weaponizes the goat <laughs> you get surprised he didn't give it a mask and call it bat goat or something <laughs> this is billy the bat goat <laughs> justice is gruff yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's got his own miniseries coming out for DC Gruff, Gruff Justice. Uh, <laughs> and people will bitch. It's another Batman title. <laughs> uh, Ace, uh, Kanga, Crypto, and Billy the Batco. That's right. <laughs> uh, poor John Walker got shot in the gut. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's the, yeah, that's right. He's the guy. He looks like John Walker. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I I like the Batman comes sweeping in. I like the the art on how he's he's kicking their asses, and then just the there were a few parts in this in this issue where I just felt like there were like too many coincidences, too many DSX machinas, like the the wood just splintering and and failing, and he let knocks him out, and that allows him to be captured. I felt like that was kind of weak. Yeah, I kind of I kind of wonder was that. Was that Barbathos like could be, could be working the, through the, the building? Yeah, I don't the know. influence of, of the demon and just like rotting the wood and breaking it so that it, it lets him go. Yeah, I I could sort of see that. Yeah, um, and then yeah, Riddler shoots his guy and it's and I like the, like he's he's like you shot me, you shot me to save Betty. Like he's like he's like bleeding out, just lying there. The next time we see that guy, he's dead. So it's like that wasn't just one shot and he's gone. Like he he, he took a long time to die from that. Yeah. That was cold-blooded. Yeah. It was. I mean, yeah, and he just let him, like, writhe in agony till he died, you know? <laughs> it's like he didn't even put another bullet in his head just to put him out of his misery or anything, yeah. It's like, whew, yeah, Riddler ain't playing around this time for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, and it's kind of, you know, he set that guy up because he, you know, of course, he's the one that protested when when Riddler blew up the, the guy's throat in the zombie makeup in the previous issue. So yeah. uh, he got the same fate, you know, so. Ugh. Then we get a ton of exposition of the backstory and what this whole thing has been about, but I didn't mind it. I didn't think this was all just an info dump. Maybe it's just because of the unusual setting, um, but the way the, the plane is doled out and explained and the, the Riddler's motivations, um, kind of going through all of the stages that he put part of it is like the art and when he finally has the knife like on page 15 when he's holding the dagger over him and he's got that real crazy face and then the the voice out of the darkness and how spooked Riddler is that he literally just drops the knife right into Batman's hand Batman just catches it as it falls <laughs> that was good I like I like those two panels or those three panels really on the bottom of 15 yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I I didn't mind all this exposition either. I I do mind again that you know Riddler's like uh, the fourth stage was to slay a wild dog with a silver dagger. They don't come much wider than pit bull terriers, do they? And I'm like, oh really, guys? Again with the yeah. pit bulls? Oh yeah, they're just they're out roaming the streets, just killing people. You know, I mean, God, I I know it's I, I've already bitched about that last time. Yeah, so I'll shut up. But that, still, yeah, <laughs> yeah but. I do like that Batman's like, you know, we always had a sporting relationship, Riddler, you know, uh, and, and and I'm wondering, is like, is Batman really trying to reason with him, like Riddler said, or is he just trying to stall him from killing him? You know, I, I don't really know what he's doing. He's, he might be doing both. So. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he, Batman... he, he has that line after that. He's like, Ever since you started this, I've had the weirdest feeling of being watched or something bigger, watching and waiting. Is he reaching out? Is he trying to say, he's like, hey, somebody's pulling both of our strings here. You know, you need to stop and think about this. Yeah, I like that Batman's acknowledging you're not acting like yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't you, Riddler. I know you. We've we've done this dance many, many times. This is definitely out of out of character for you, which I, I love that, that Batman's like, you know, and, and Riddler's, you know, he's he says he's maturing as a criminal or whatever. But, you know, you can, you can almost... He's not buying it as he's saying it, basically, because of the look that Dwyer gives him on his face when he's looking at the knife. And he's like, well, I'm maturing as a criminal as he's looking down at the knife, you know, or something. It, you just kind of get the idea that, yeah, he's being controlled. And then suddenly that's all over when when Barbatho starts talking because he, you know, I think he might 
you know, he soiled his his green his green suit there when the, the, when he drops the knife. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's the priest robes over top of it or something. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, and once the the roof starts caving in, he he ditches that. He runs out and starts torching the floor to burn the building down. Um, Seventeen. Um, we get the sort of like montage, the, the atypical panels showing the whole thing with Batman kind of watching, getting this vision of the the summoning ritual and everything with everybody fleeing and Dominique, you know, terrified and everything. The 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 last shot of Batman at the bottom when he's got the candle. I love the lighting. I love like how the like just like the lines that um, Dwyer uses, just kind of like shade around the eyes and everything. But or, yeah, the, the, I think the coloring and the style of that is really really well done. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, yeah, it was Adrian Roy. Adrian yeah. Roy is just, she's so, uh, yeah, well, we always sing her praises here, but I, I love when she switches up the color palette. Whenever, I'm a sucker whenever Adrian Roy reaches in and gets her reds out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. On this page to show the flashback. It's just, I don't know, there's just something so evocative about the, the, the shading, the, the color. The, the the tints of color she used she was just she was fantastic especially with the you know the methods that they had to color comics back then but yeah there's so much going on here I mean like there's so much white thrown on Batman from the candle in these pages that's uh, on the next page there's a lot of white on Batman and like part of his shoulders like completely white but it's totally sells that he's in this dim cellar with this one light source you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic yeah and then yeah we get this um the scene that again, it just it, it, it's it's we're in the realm of the supernatural. Is it Batman's desperation? Is it his psyche, or is it actually the ghost of this woman or her spirit or, or what Barbathos is showing that she's trapped? And uh, I I don't like the fact that Batman can't get out of this himself. That he basically just gives Me up, uh, and then and then they have to be rescued by Alfred. Which why is Alfred there? How did Alfred like? I mean, I can I can understand why Alfred might have thought to go there based on their earlier scene of projecting it on the map. But how, how did he know Batman was in trouble? And just I yeah, I think Batman should have been able. Batman is stronger. He's more resourceful. He uh, should have been able to get out of there where, you know, a, a teenage girl couldn't. Right. Yeah. He's supposed to be the world's greatest escape artist if you don't count yeah. Scott Free. So he should have been able to get out of a cellar. Uh, that's on fire. Yeah, I mean, they could have still Milligan could have still had Alfred show up, but Batman's already, you know, so they, that way he's got a little, you know, somebody to, to talk to at the end. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, and and show the the skeletal corpse too. But that way, Batman's not seen as he can't even escape out of a cellar. You know, right. <laughs> so, I guess I'm actually I, trying I did, to see. I get. Oh, I, Batman doesn't have his utility belt anymore. I was actually thinking. I was like, did Riddler leave his utility belt on? No, he didn't. In any of the shots where he he doesn't have his belt on. So Dwyer's got one up on Neil Adams. He yeah. consistently drew it off. So that's good. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. But still, he he would have had something. I mean, yeah, I, I think he he's got lockpicks in his boots and yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I do like that all you know now that Batman's encountering Dominique's spirit, she seems to be in white instead of black. Mm-hmm. That, that's a that's a nice touch. Like she's literally ready to move on to the to to heaven, or right. you know to the uh, you know she's no longer sullied by this. You know, of course, she was drugged when she was doing all this stuff. They said that, uh, so I, I, you can read that in several different ways. But that's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's a Wayne family mausoleum that he buries her in the crypt, you know, and everything like that. They, 
the kind of striking and iconic imagery of Batman in front of the twin gravestones of his parents, Thomas and Martha, is a great shot. But realistically, yeah, they would there would be a mausoleum on the family on the property. They would have an indoor crypt to keep their bodies. Yeah. So. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, I mean, especially as wealthy as they were, and I. I I hate to say this. This part is the one part that I'm like, really? This is a very Bob Haney thing to do, mm. um, that you bury Dominique. Suddenly this is his sister, and she's buried right next to his parents, So, and nobody will ever acknowledge this again. You know, when we right. see the the Waynes, of course, the, their gravestones will be outside so he can – you know, so somebody can deface them or or he can vow before them. And, you know, which, you know, that's what we've normally seen in comics leading in the previous 50 years, uh, you know, up to this point. But, uh, you know, that's like Bob Haney giving Batman a brother or giving him a suddenly giving him adoptive godson or something in a story that we never hear from again. Um, that that's the part I could have done. He could have buried him. He could have made her a marker in the cemetery wherever the Waynes are. If it's, you know, sometimes it's on the the Wayne property, uh, and I assume it is here. You know, it, it, you know, that would have been fine. But to have him like buried next to the Waynes, that's just, I think that's a little much. It's also Batman maybe buying into it a little too much. If he's willing to accept this woman as his sister, then it does he. It sounds like he's kind of buying into all this more than his dialogue says he is, you know, so or his word balloons say he is anyway, his his thoughts say he is. Yeah, true. So I don't know. I just I thought that part was just a little a little over the line and maybe Milligan was, you know, really patting himself on the back at the end of <laughs> at the end of this story maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I kind of I, I I forgive it a little bit just because of like the sentimentality of it, um, but yeah, it's one of those. It 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 is a little bit too much. It's a little bit too on the nose, and it doesn't hold up to a lot of scrutiny. And it is something that will never be referenced again or even contradicted. So it's yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. It didn't yeah. it didn't really bother me, but it's one of those things that I can't defend it. <laughs> right. I mean, it didn't it didn't like ruin the story for me, but I just felt like it was just a little. It was a little over the line at the at the end of it, you know. But uh, I do like that Batman doesn't totally dismiss the possibility of the supernatural here, because as we've mentioned a million times before, that is a big gripe for a lot of us. That these characters, you know, you team up with the Spectre, and then the next the next month, you're literally in another book. You're like, oh, I don't believe in ghosts, right. you know. Uh, it's like, dude, you just teamed up with the Spectre, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So come on, I mean, you know Etrigan, okay? Uh, there's <laughs> demons. They, you know, uh, this this demon living under the city is it that big of a deal? I mean, you you know this guy down the street that turns into one. I mean, come on, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So all told, Dark Knight, Dark City has always been one of my favorite stories for that reason. I like that it occupies this you know, subtly supernatural story. Well, not it's not a subtle supernatural story. It is a supernatural story, but it's not like a full-on, you know, zombie ghost. It it plays in, in both worlds that, you know, allows Batman to kind of straddle the line. It deals with one of his rogues, but one of his rogues being corrupted and darker than usual. It deals with the history and the lore of Gotham as a city itself. Uh, it kind of expands your view and gives you a new way of looking at the character at his origin that you can dismiss or you can adopt. It's kind of, it's open-ended that way. 
But ultimately, and I also think it's it's really really well drawn by Kieran Dwyer, who I I wish had drawn Batman a whole lot more. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I it hurts to say this, but you know, around the same time, I mean, if I, I would have loved if he had become like the regular artist on Detective at this time once once um, break because. Yeah, I think it was right after this is when Brayfogel when they had the creative the uh, artist switch. I think it's the issue mm-hmm. after this is when Brayfogel and uh, Alan Grant take over Batman instead of Detective. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. If Dwyer had stayed on one of these titles and everything like that, I mean, because you know we've got uh, you know we had Jim Aparo around this time who was still doing really really good work, but it wasn't his best. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I just I I love this Batman. I wish we could have seen more of this. Yeah, there was plenty of Batman comics around this time, you know. I mean, if if um, you know, later on they not too long after this they launched Shadow of the Bat, which is, you know, for Grant and Brayfogel, but Brayfogel doesn't actually stay on the title very long. If Dwyer had become the penciler after that, I, I would have been very happy with that. Uh if he got to do, you know, some Legends of the Dark Knight arcs or or something that way. He comes back and draws the Riddler, uh his Who's Who entry and his year 1 origin annual. Um, so he kind of becomes the Riddler artist after this for a while, mm-hmm. uh, in the nineties. Um, so that's cool. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I mean, don't get me wrong. This, the, my little quibble with the, the, the ending aside, the, the, the coda aside, this is great. I love, and I, for all the reasons you said, I love the fact that it, it, it gives you a little supernatural, uh, element to Gotham if you choose to go with that it's I, I think Milligan left people a gift that they could pick up and run with nobody did apparently until uh, Grant Morrison as you pointed out and I looked this up I had no idea this was a thing because I've pretty much not read Batman comics modern Batman comics much in the past like 15 oh not quite 15 years but 12 years or so like that but um, looking up on the DC fandom wiki uh Barbato says he was rechristened. Uh, they took the H out. Uh, was revealed to be from Apocalypse, and there was a Thomas Wayne in the cult uh, that was doing the ceremony. And t- this Thomas Wayne, not not Bruce's dad, but a earlier Thomas Wayne, he worshipped Darkseid, and he got trapped in the cellar as well. When the when the all the Stockman and all the others ran out, he was down in the cellar with Dominique. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, when Barbatos appeared, he ate the heart of the bat and he became immortal. And he told Dominique, I will bathe in your blood. So apparently he killed Dominique, which changes the storyline. And then he becomes Dr. Simon Hurt, the villain of Batman R.I.P. And in the classic continuity, the doctor who puts Batman through his sleep experiments in Robin dies at dawn. So uh, and then, of course, that all Barbatos becomes part of metal, which they just covered on uh, DCOCD, and I, yeah, I, I don't even know where to go with that stuff. I, nothing. I, I just haven't read it, and it doesn't look like my cup of tea. For those who enjoy it, that's great. But I had no idea that this this went on in that way. So, <laughs> I was reading. I was reading Morrison's run on Batman up through the Return of Bruce Wayne, where he kind of goes into some of this era too, and and I, I like that he was acknowledging this story. I didn't like all the retcons and the the changes that he made, but uh, yeah, interesting anyway. But yeah, yeah, and and yeah. yeah, and getting back, like I mean, I like that this story feels for Batman. This feels like it is worse than normal. 
Like he's like, mm-hmm. it, it's not usually this bad. Riddler isn't usually this crazy. I don't usually have to do these dark, horrible, bloody things. Like this feels like a very extreme story. And when you can get those every once in a while, it does. When when this type of you know dark and gritty becomes the norm, then it becomes a little bit exhausting, and I, I lose interest. But for this Same. one to be for this one to be the exception, that I think it makes it a little bit more potent. It like makes it exceptional. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, cool. So uh, that'll that'll uh, close the book on Dark Knight, Dark City, and the Man Bat trilogy. So we uh, we knocked those two out in the first three months of 2021. Uh, We are now going to take another promo break, listeners. But we will be back with your listener feedback from the last episode. Don't go away. Monthly, monthly, monthly! It's Action Film Face-Off! Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action Film Face-Off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face-Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets... Jason was a Navy SEAL! Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris! Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it! We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. <laughs> Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see The Blood Fly. I just said that. On the last episode, we covered Detective Comics 402 and Batman 453. We got very nice feedback on the website, as we always do, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Head on over there to leave a comment on the discussion we just had. But in the meantime, here are the comments we received last month. J. David Weeder said, I love that you guys kept coming back to Batman the Animated Series. It just proves the theory that this is the definitive version of Batman in any medium. Also, the talk about your experiences with the show warmed my heart, since most of our age range have those distinct memories. That show was a touchstone of a generation and a shared experience. Yeah, I mean, I co-sign all of that. I, I, it has become... 
as much as I love some of the Batman movies, as much as I love a ton of the Batman comics, I, I have kind of gotten to the point now when I think of Batman, I think of Batman the Animated Series. There's the timelessness, the fidelity to the aspects of the characters, good and bad, that I like the most. It just it, it comes down to that series. I just I think they that that crystallized everything that I love about Batman. And also Superman too. I mean, when I think of Superman, I like Superman the animated series more than the Superman books or movies or yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the, you know, of of course somebody that's got a, a podcast that uh, takes place in the DCAU uh that, that covers DCAU uh, shows. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely a huge part of my fandom and I I I would never argue. I agree completely. It's the the best distillation of everything Batman for sure. And honestly, it's the best distillation of the DC universe in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that version of the the you know, Superman Justice League that's the best version. Those guys took everything that everybody did in the years previous and 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 somehow blended it into into a near perfect a perfect version. So yeah, I totally agree. I think it's because it doesn't have Firestorm. I think that's the big. The, I think so too. Yeah. It's those those poofy sleeves and yeah, the flamenco dancer with his head on fire. Yeah, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting kicked off the network. Uh, Captain Entropy wrote in to say, regarding tech number 402, Alfred says, Master Bruce, if you're going to go around recognizing chemical compounds straight away, why on earth did I throw out my back moving this deucedly heavy bat mass spectrometer into the cave? <laughs> <laughs> spectrometer, I guess it should be. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I would notice that when he recognized the chemicals that just spilled on the, on the with that main bat. It's like, how do you know what that is? Yeah, <laughs> I sure hope Alfred had his cardigan on when he did that, not his tux jacket. Uh, I'm thrilled to see that tra- this uh, captain continues. I'm thrilled to see traumatic brain injury receive proper respect in this story. For all I know, Robbins and Adams could have been the first creators in popular fiction to give it such respect. As you point out, entertainment was rife with bonks on the head in those days. I'm imagining little Anne surrounded by comics and medical texts reading this and crying out, Finally! (laughs) (laughs) Among all these coincidences, Man Bat's little brother leading him to the Bat Cave bothered me least of all. I could easily see it being the cave with the highest bat population in the Gotham area. Well, that's a good point, yeah. Uh, I agree on how refreshing it is to see clumsiness in the middle of the action. I just purchased a collection of part of Englehart's run on Captain America. In Steve Rogers' first fight as Nomad, he trips on his cape, enabling the bad guys to escape. In doing so, he may have inspired a later scene in The Incredibles. <laughs> no capes, darling. There are, obvious, uh, there are obvious allusions to Batman earlier in the book. As Steve contemplated what kind of hero to become, he remarked that despite the dark costume material he he acquired, he wasn't trying to terrify anyone. He also worried that if a bat flew in the room at that moment, he'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that part. Yeah, I love those that era of the Inglehart. Uh, you know, toward the end of that's when Frank Robbins came in. He came in yeah. on the final chapter of yeah, started of a, the started uh, Nomad storyline. So, yep, started with Salbushima. Yep, yep, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Chris Lewis said, if you guys like how KFC altered their acronym to apologize for the great chicken shortage of 2018, you're really going to get a kick out of the clothing store French Connection UK for years leveraged their initials in advertising over here. (laughs) FC UK, wow, wow. Seeing those in bold letters on advertising. Yeah, I can imagine 
<laughs> people having a- that would never fly here in the United States, man. There would be people like losing their mind over that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, some guy named Rob Kelly said, what would Man Possum's powers be? To play dead until his opponent gets bored and wanders away? <laughs> yeah, we had the whole Man Possum thing going last yeah. time. Uh, I have not read the other three part of her from the pages you posted. I really like Kerwin Dwyer's work. I don't remember liking it all that much when he first came out, but this Batman has a cool combo of Adam's weight and Bray Fogel's fluidity. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Very nice. Uh, I had, Rob continues, I had not heard there was a Batman stop motion movie in the works. I hope it follows the plot and look of Mad Monster Party with Rachel Ghoul inviting all the Bat villains to his mountain retreat plus musical numbers. I would wear the mask and risk COVID to see that in the theater if that was the case, yeah. Yeah, there you go. I would too. Yeah, like Har- Harley Quinn can sing "You're Different" to the Joker or something like like uh, like uh, um, Phyllis Diller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I could see. Da- da- hey, David Warner could still be uh, Rachel Gould in that, and he could invite everybody. It's like I'm going to retire, my dear. You know, so that would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paul Hicks from DCOCD cast and the Gary show said, I remember being greatly amused by the existence of the villain called man bat. Not sure. I've ever read a great story that focused on him though. I don't think I've ever read these original stories. Dark Knight, dark city was an epic story. Glad it's quietly appreciated by those in the know rather than relentlessly homage. Interestingly, the current Batman run isn't as dark as Chris thinks. A recent arc by James Tinian IV included one of the best defenses of Batman's policy of non-killing, with the reform of Harley Quinn being a key piece of evidence. And I'll go on record that Harley, fully on the good side, is more fun and less tedious than her anti-hero role. Okay, well, there you go. I'll take your word for it there, uh, Paul, you know, so... I might give it a shot one of these days. I just, uh, it's just, it's just hard to get back in full mm-hmm. on to the DC and the fact that, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, I guess now would probably be a good place to start. I know Andrew's been reading the future state books and he likes them, but in this whole infinite frontier and everything that happened, happened. And it's basically hyper time all over again, but they're calling it infinite frontier. So, uh, you know, but I don't know. I've just been out so long. It's kind of hard to get back in, but yeah. that's me. Yeah. Tim Price said, and now you've reached the first Man Bat story I ever read. I keep picturing the fight in the Batcave in that panel where Batman's falling but uses the lights to slow down before reaching the ground. Such a beautiful, fluid drawing. Love. Yeah, that, that, that's, 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 that's iconic. Even though it doesn't last very long, like we said, that's going to be very influential in every Batman Man Bat story going forward. Uh, Michael Bailey, who has several Bat podcasts of his own, said... It's weird. The summer and early fall of 1990 fell during one of my, as some might call it, Batman phases. So I remember buying the Dark Knight Dark City storyline, and I remember reading it, and I remember thinking it was weird, but I have zero memory of what happened during it. I even read those issues again in 2003 as part of my massive Batman reading project, where I read everything, including family and side books, from 1986 to 2002, and I still don't remember this. And this story 
sounds neat, so you'd think it would stick in my head, but alas, no. Enjoying your coverage of those issues as well as your Man-Bat talk. I have always had kind of a meh opinion of Man-Bat, except on the animated series, and the story reprinted in the greatest Batman stories ever told. But again, your coverage has me itching to read those books. Great job as always, gents. Keep up the good work. Uh, I I think there's some sort of magic spell put on Michael Bailey that's causing him to forget the story as soon as he reads it. Yeah, because he can usually remember, uh, like you know what you know what day it was and what produce was on sale at the Super Fresh the day he picked that particular comic up. So, yeah, you may have been abducted by aliens, Mike. I'm just saying be, you might have be. memory loss. Was there any light, blue lights or? It is weird that he doesn't remember because he usually remembers like his his memory is like a freaking Rolodex, you know. So there must have been something. It was Barbathos. He yeah. he did something to your mind. So there, yeah. <laughs> Ben Caldecott said, this podcast rocks. Man, you guys are so cool. Thank you, finally. Somebody thinks I'm cool. Thank God. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that Ben Caldecott is actually David Ace Gutierrez saying that now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you, Ben. Thank you for saying that so emphatically into all caps. That was very nice and a nice way yeah. to end this episode, too. Yeah, I mean, I feel valid. 46 years later, I finally feel validated. So thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, so uh, that, that'll be the end for this one. Um, next month, uh, early April, we've got a little bit of a treat. We're going to have two Bat-centric episodes, although one of them is not going to be from Nightcast. Um, it's going to be uh, a, a prose Batman story uh, read to you by our good friend and former member, the late Zoom Yukinori. Uh, so you can look forward to that. That'll actually come out on the FW Presents feed, um, but that'll come out in April. And uh, later on, uh, a little bit after that one, we will come out with our episode of Nightcast. And which uh, fictional character might come, might uh, make a cameo in those comics? Who knows? The Shadow knows. <laughs> Nightcast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Batman Nightcast. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at supermatespod or email me at supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. 
You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider audience. Batman Nightcast is also available on Spotify. This podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed here belong solely to us. All music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.